Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gunnan from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench, Episode 2. I'm your host, Jay Ganinen, and I'm really excited about our guest today, Tom Wozniak. Tom is an instructor for the diesel program at Madison College. I've known Tom for a really long time, and he brings a ton of experience and industry insight to our podcast today. Tom is also very involved with SkillsUSA and recently represented our country in Russia for the World Skills Competition, a pretty cool thing. And today we're going to talk about a few different topics, but our primary focus will be on how we as an industry can better support our technical schools and more specifically our automotive and diesel programs. Tom, how are you doing today? Hey, Jay, I am doing fantastic. And hey, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm, I'm excited to get to talk about this topic. Awesome. And I, I'm really excited to have you on. I think uh, your insights into how we, how we help tech schools is really, it's going to be helpful for all of the shops that listen, all the technicians that listen. I think it's, it's really, really good stuff. So why don't we start off with us uh, having you kind of tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and the program that you're involved with at MATC and a little bit of what you do on your day-to-day life. Uh, sure. So oh, I, as Jay had mentioned, I am a instructor and I teach at Madison Area Technical College. So I know that Jay threw out the, the MATC term. That is a <laughs> uh, an old term for the college, an old uh, slang term. Uh, he also threw out Madison College. So we're kind of known by all three. So our, our, our full name is Madison Area Technical College in Madison, Wisconsin. So I've been a diesel instructor over there. I've been teaching full-time for our programs. We have two programs that are teaching full-time in our programs since 2003, part-time since 1996. So I've been involved with the college for many, many a years. My main focus at the college is teaching engine repair, engine machining, engine diagnostics, air conditioning and refrigeration, also moving into a new class, which we'll be getting into here next semester, which is going to be a complete after-treatment diagnostic class. So, you know, I teach all aspects of our industry. So this semester, I'm actually teaching electrical. But, uh, you know, how I got involved was way back when, you know, when I'm sitting here in high school trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. You know, I, I just love wrenching. My mom and dad always told me, you know, that I was the one that was underneath the truck while dad was underneath there trying to change oil. And I had the hammer in the hand and I'm banging on the frame, you know, trying to help dad change oil. And I'm knocking stuff in his face, but I'm the one that's underneath the truck with him. I'm the one that's going out there when he's got the lawnmower all tore apart. I'm over there looking and watching and trying to figure out what's going on. And I always had that mechanical mindset. I always wanted to tear stuff apart and see, you know, how this stuff worked and want to put it back together and just loved it. It was just bred in me. It was just, you know, in my blood. And I just loved working on my own cars. And that's where I thought, hey, that's where I wanted to go. I want to go into the automotive industry. It actually was my father that kind of pointed me into uh, the diesel industry. He's the one, before I graduated high school, he was kind of pointing me and says, you know what? He says, there's another industry out there that you can't, you got to look at. And it's working in this big diesel industry over here. You're working on big trucks, big pieces of equipment. And, you know, he explained to me that, you know, the the trucking industry and how many products and stuff that they haul every single day, you're never going to, a truck is not going to replace hauling toilet paper. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, everybody needs toilet paper. So trucks need to move that from point A to point B. Trains need to move that across the country. So the diesel industry is an industry that's not going to die. Sorry to cut you off, but one of the things that I always uh, thought was fascinating I, from my time, kind of uh, limited time on the trucking side, 
I had a, a boss of mine once tell me that uh, you could tell how the stock market was going to do based on how deliveries were going from, from trucking companies. So if trucking companies were doing good, that meant supplies were going to houses to, to build houses. And that meant like that was the initial piece to kind of starting the cycle of everything. And it's it's just such an, a critical and important piece to our country in general and the world that I think maybe doesn't get the credit it deserves because it, it is vital for our day-to-day life. Well, it, it, you're right. And if you think about it, just think about it. Anything we touch, anything that we stand in, you know, something that's built above us, a roof above us, anything that we take our vehicles on, anything that we own, the diesel industry has touched that product, whether it is transported that product, whether it's hauled parts, you know, into the manufacturing of that product, whether it was building of the roads, whether it was putting, you know, the roof over our heads, the diesel industry touches every single thing of our lives. And people don't realize that this industry is not going away, which is great. Yeah. We talk with people every day and I said, there's a, we've got about as good a job security in this industry as you can have just based on the need and, and how dependent people are on us and our industry. So that's a great thing. So walk me through a little bit of how you got into education. I know your background was primarily technical. How did you get into to teaching others? Well, I actually graduated out of Madison Area Technical College way back in, I hate to date myself, but back in 1987. So yes, I, I am old. <laughs> but I uh, graduated out of Technical College back in 1987 out of Madison Area Technical College at the time. You know, this was at the old campus, which was on Commercial Avenue, right next to Oscar Myers there in Madison. Graduated out of that. And at the time, it was just a vocational diploma. We didn't even have an associate degree program. You know, it was just a vocational diploma. From there, I was hired right out of technical college to work with Schneider National. That was a fantastic opportunity to work for such a large company. So I worked with Schneider National as a, as a technician for many years. And while we were there working at Schneider National, Schneider was growing and it was booming back in the you know, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. They were building these operating centers all over the place. And they were adding technicians left and right. And I got on the ground floor at the Milwaukee Operating Center. So I was like the the third or fourth individual that was brought in. And I started working as a tech, started getting lots of experience. And as we kept growing our technician base, I was looked to uh, becoming more of a mentor and bringing these young technicians uh, up to speed with the uh, operating procedures of Schneider and, and teach them our industry. And I really felt like I had a knack for mentoring and teaching and and stuff. And I grew that way with Schneider. I was on a lot of different committees, what they call SOP, Standard Operating Procedure Committees, for electrical, for engines, things of that, to set their procedures. And I got involved with the, uh, actually, outside of Schneider with education, because my alma mater, Madison Area Technical College, my old instructors contacted me and said, hey, you know, we want to build a second program. We want to have an associate degree program in the state of Wisconsin. We want to be the first. And what we need to do is we need to have industry representatives here to help us build a date, which basically is the start of putting together the curriculum. And so we want industry to help us build this. We, want, we don't want to build it ourselves. We want an industry to help. That was smart. Yeah. Myself, along with probably about 20 other industry representatives, got together back in the early 90s and started building this DACOM. And it was an opportunity that, you know, I will never, ever, ever forget. And I went up and I asked our, my uh, 
what we call team leaders, who you would think of as being a service manager right now. So I'd ask my team leader, hey, this is an opportunity. Can I be involved with it? And he says, yeah, go ahead. So giving me that opportunity to go in there and, and help build the curriculum for our associate degree was, like I said, something I'll never forget. Wow. And at that there, you know, at that moment, I kind of went up to one of the instructors that I had when I went to school there, you know, since then he's passed away. But uh, I asked him, I said, you know, how did you get an education? Because I really enjoy this and I'd like to, to start you know, getting into education. So he's telling me kind of the path how he took, but he says, you know what? He says, even better. He says, we're looking for a part-time instructor. He says, will you be interested in something like that? So yeah, let's, let's see. So, uh, the, the next week I, I went back up to the college and I met with him and we started talking about part-time instruction that I'd be actually doing. And that was back you know, right around that 95, late 95, early 96 time frame. It's kind of like uh, I got my, my foot in the door. That was the biggest thing. I started teaching part-time there with my old instructors. I was replacing another part-time instructor who was there who got an opportunity to go to days where he was working at. And he was working nights and he taught part-time instruction there. And then he had an opportunity to go to days. Well, he didn't want to miss that opportunity, so he couldn't teach part-time anymore. So I replaced him. That That individual right now is actually an instructor at Madison Area Technical College. He got his opportunity to teach full-time as well. So I'm sitting here doing part-time work or part-time instruction work at Madison Area Technical College. And back in the late 90s, early 2000s, Schneider really saw the uh, the writing on the wall. If you remember back then, fuel prices started to skyrocket yes. and trucking really started to take a hit. And uh, Schneider saw the writing on the wall very early and they started closing operating centers. And Milwaukee was one of the operating centers that they decided to close. They just built Gary, Indiana, which was very close to Milwaukee. They had the Green Bay Operating Center and the Nina Operating Center up in, you know, up in Wisconsin. Milwaukee was right in the middle. We didn't need Milwaukee. It was just, you know, redundant. So uh, they ended up closing the Milwaukee Operating Center. So now it's like, well, what do I do? Uh, where do I go? Of course, Schneider offered us jobs either down to Gary, Indiana, or Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, or Atlanta, Georgia, and it's kind of like, yeah, I don't think I want to move. So uh, I went to work for the JX Enterprise Company. They are the owner group for the Peterbilt dealers in Wisconsin and Illinois, and now in Michigan and Iowa, so they've grown quite a bit. And they wanted to start a new thing. They wanted to have an in-house trainer, and they wanted to get this, this particular individual up to speed to where they can uh, go ahead and certify in Caterpillar engines. At the time, 75% of Peterbilt product had Caterpillar engines in it. Uh, they wanted their this in-house trainer to certify their technicians and CAT products and Peterbilt products and stuff. So I got hired on as that. The problem is that the economy really kind of played a role in that particular position. The economy really yeah. kind of hit hard. It hit all the dealerships. And those of you who were in the trucking industry, sales went way, way down. You were just relying on parts and service. Yeah. And when you, you look at a starting a position like that, a training position, training yeah, it is an expense, you know, it's an investment, but when you get bean counters looking at the, uh, the profit and loss statements and you see a lot of money going out and nothing really coming in, you know, they ended up putting that on hold for a while. That's not an immediate ROI, right? <laughs> that is right. It's definitely not immediate ROI. They can yeah. see the money going out, but they can't see the money coming in. Exactly. Yeah. So at that point in time, I, uh, I went to work for Oshkosh Truck as a training specialist. So I got the position over there, worked with an OEM instead of a dealership. Now that was a fantastic job. I got to travel all over the world, teach on their products, 
one thing I failed to mention is when I was working with JX Enterprise, I, I did actually spend a lot of weeks at the Caterpillar facility in Peoria, Illinois, at their LC building, and I became one of a handful, when I say handful, only like five people in the, in the country that were outside the Caterpillar network to become a certified Caterpillar instructor. Wow. So I was very happy with that. I carried that into Oshkosh truck and was able to get an Oshkosh truck. They were switching from, you know, you got to remember Oshkosh. Everybody thinks of Oshkosh truck, the old two cycle Detroits and, yep. and the military vehicles and stuff. And yeah, they had a lot of that. But back then also is that, you know, emissions laws were coming out, you know, 2004 emission law was coming close and the, the October 2002 emission law actually hit. And uh, so they had to learn to switch engines from the two stroke because the two stroke couldn't make emissions anymore. So wow. a good product was the Caterpillar product that they picked. And the Caterpillar product was going in a lot of their equipment. And the one piece of equipment that I was kind of helping train on was the brand new uh, Marine Corps MTVR, basically is a tactical vehicle, a seven ton tactical vehicle. So when I travel around the world, I was traveling with a lot of different Marine Corps bases. So Camp Lejeune down there in the Carolinas and Wow. And Pendleton over in California and Hawaii and, and Okinawa. So did a lot of traveling over there for the Marine Corps. I also got involved in their uh, airport rescue and firefighting equipment. They called an ARF. It's their striker, brand new. So I got involved with that, and I really enjoyed that company. That company was fantastic. Met a yeah. lot of fantastic people, trained a lot of great individuals over there. But, you know, I have to say I was uh, my alma mater came calling. <laughs> the, the individual who, uh, you know, I kept really, you know, in contact, I was still teaching part-time with, you know, Madison Air Technical College. And I knew that the individual who I had as an instructor who really mentored me and brought me up into this industry and into, into education, he was retiring. And I remember sitting back in his class when I first sat in his class when I was a student back in the late 80s, you know, he went in there and introduced himself. He talked about all the certifications that, you know, he had patches all the way up one arm and down the other. Looked I like a NASCAR driver. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he, he, he did. He actually, and he's talking about all these different things, you know, that you can be and with all these certifications that he has. And he says, heck, you, you know, he's talking about being a technician, a service manager, a foreman, parts, sales. I mean, he talked about every place you can go in this industry. Yeah. And even looked at us and he says, heck, one of you guys over there will replace me. He says, I'm going to retire one of these days. And, you know, I'm sitting in that chair listening to him and I'm kind of going, yeah, right. Like I'm going to replace you. <laughs> and well, here you are. The funny thing is, is I did, you know, back then when I sat there as a student listening to that story, uh, I never thought I, you know, I would actually replace him. But in, you never know where these paths take you. And he helped mentor me as well as all of the instructors over there at Madison Area Technical College. He helped mentor them. And he brought us actually into this, you know, industry's education. I just happened to replace him because he was retiring at that point in time. So it was one of those lucky things. And I got my foot in the door back in 2003 as full-time instructor. And I haven't looked back ever since. Yeah. And I, I know the individual you're talking about, and he, he left a, a pretty cool legacy uh, on this Madison area in general and really got a lot of things kicked off for us as the, an industry in general. So I think that's a pretty cool thing to leave a legacy behind like he did. I think all of us would aspire to do the same and it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, he was he was the one that really pushed us. You know, we didn't think about that, but but he was the one that really pushed us. And, you know, all the full-time instructors at Madison Area Technical College in our program, all of those guys had him as an instructor. We yeah. were all moved by him. 
and he was instrumental in getting us all into the school and teaching. So I mean, well, it tells he definitely you what, has a yeah. yeah. It tells you what impact you can have on a bunch of lives, and I think that's that's the cool part about what you're doing now is is you're really you're impacting a lot of lives and a lot of careers in in how these younger people that are getting into our business see the business, understand the business. I know I've learned a ton from you from my time at Bobcat and being able to just see how you dive into a diagnostic process and and really the critical thinking that is needed to be a good tech. I truly wish I would have had you <laughs> back in the day because it, it did give me a different perspective on on how to think things through and the importance of needing to think things through. And I give you a lot of credit for what you do with our young people today and, and getting them up to speed. So well, thank um, you very much. Yeah. So what do you, how did the industry look when you got into it as compared to now? Obviously we've got a, we've got a technician shortage on our hands in both automotive and diesel. Diesel obviously is your specialty. Did we have this back then as far as the problems with trying to get people into the industry or is this a relatively new thing in your opinion? Well, when I went to school back then, I mean, uh, we had a lot of students who did kind of work in the industry. I know everybody, you know, we got into school and, and we're trying to find jobs part time. And there was a couple of places that were actually hiring specifically because they started out uh, new and they were kind of working with the college a little bit. So I know there's a few places, some independent shops and stuff that hired some of our technicians, you know, or some of our students as techs. But for the most part, when I went to school here and working part-time, trying to go into the dealerships, the dealerships really didn't want anything to do with an individual who was in tech school. They just said, nope, just we want you after your education, but not right now. So while I went to school, believe it or not, I actually worked in an automotive shop. I worked at Sears Automotive. Wow, uh, I didn't know I that. Yeah, I couldn't get a job in the industry at the time. And, you know, looking around too, and I'm looking at wages and stuff. And I, of course, uh, the wages for a, you know, tech college person back in the 80s. And here again, I'm going to date myself. Uh, <laughs> around the Madison area, they're around five bucks an hour. You know, and I was making that at Sears Automotive. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, why would I want to go into this industry here that's paying the same as Sears Automotive? So the reason why I jumped at Schneider when Schneider came looking to hire a bunch of students is because they were offering $7.50. That's, that's quite like, an oh, increase. Wow, that's, yeah. that's a big increase, that's $5 <laughs> an hour. Yeah. So it's kind of like, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on this ship and take this ship. But we didn't have the technician shortage. I mean, we had baby boomers, you know, our parents who were in this industry and they, you know, they, they're the ones that, you know, a huge demographic of individuals who are out there just working hard and working in this industry and shops were full. We didn't have the technician shortage back yeah. then, but we do now. I mean, we really, really do now because we don't have the people entering into this industry. These baby boomers have, re, you know, are retiring or have retired. Uh, the, the end of the baby boomer area right now is coming up and these people are retiring and we don't, have the people entering into the into this particular industry, and we know that. Yeah. And, but there's so many, so much stiff competition out there from various different other industries that weren't around when I got into you know this industry. Good point. You know, so I mean, all the new technology. Technology is great. Don't get me wrong. Technology is fantastic. The problem is, is that now students, you know, high school students, middle school students, post secondary students, they have so many different job opportunities elsewhere. Yeah. Make you know, good money. So uh, not only that, that not only technology, but I, I, you look at the other skilled trades too, right? Like you look at an electrician or you look at a plumber and similar to what you said in this kind of struck me 
a question that we get from the recruiting side a lot is, is money important to a young person or in really anybody, right? And, and I think we've put so much emphasis on millennials being, you know, they want the, the flexibility and they want, you know, some of the fringe benefits that maybe we didn't back in the, back in the day. Um, but when it comes down to it, pays still extremely important, if not the most important thing. And similar to the, when you were looking at Sears Automotive and then going to Schneider, you know, at that point, it probably seemed like minimal dollars, but in the grand scheme of things, that had a huge impact on your life. Like having that extra money allowed you to get a new car or get something, you know, that you needed uh, housing. And I think we as an industry may overlook that a little bit in, in terms of like, you still got to get paid, right? Well, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, so this industry right now, you know, I, I look at it with these young techs. First of all, when I went to school, maybe for two year education was three, four thousand dollars. Yeah. You know? And right now, when you, you know, at our college, and our college is paid by the taxpayers. Yeah. Over 75% of the tuition of every single student at our technical college, uh, 75% of that tuition is paid by the taxpayers. So wow. the students only paying roughly about 25% of the tuition. So for us, a two year program over here, the students paying anywhere between 12 and 15 grand for a two year program. Mm -hmm. Now that has gone up quite a bit since I became full-time. It was roughly about six, seven grand when I first started back in 2003. And now we're up to around 15 grand for a two-year program. here. Now that includes books and that includes tuition and everything like that. When you look right. at the private schools, you're looking somewhere between, you know, 30 to 60,000, depending upon where you're going and how long you're staying at a, at a private school. Yeah. So kids today have got an astronomical amount of debt just because of a tuition. B, the other thing that uh, I want to talk about a little later is this particular student who has just accumulated all kinds of debt from his education now has to go out and spend 10, at the very least 10, 15, 20, $30,000 in tools just yeah. to walk inside a door. And he hasn't even, he hasn't even gotten a job yet. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's got to spend that kind of money on tools just to walk in the door to work for somebody. So we'll get, I want to talk about that a little later, but yeah, when you talk about money and how money is important to these people, yeah, they are. It is extremely important. And especially when you've got competing industries in. One individual came up to me and he was saying, that, you know, hey, we really, really need technicians. And uh, we've got this brand new facility we built here. Technicians should want to come work for us. I go, well, what are you paying per hour? And he told me, and I go, well, you know what? I'm just going to tell you this. I was driving up I-94 to uh, from Madison to Minneapolis, and uh, just past the Mauston area over there is a uh, Walmart distribution center. Yep. Okay. So everybody knows it well. It's just up past Mauston. They had semi-trailers parked along on their property with big billboards on there saying, packagers starting at $20 an hour. Packagers. To put stuff in boxes. That's yeah. all they have to do. 20 bucks an hour. And I told that individual who I was talking to, I said, you're competing against everybody in the city. You're competing against dollar. Yeah. And I told him, well, I'm not competing for that guy. I don't want that guy. Well, yeah, you do. Because yeah. this kid now is looking at, I can go to Walmart distribution. It might be a boring job. I may be throwing goods in a cardboard box, but I'm getting 20 bucks an hour plus benefits. Right. Here I have to go to school. You know, I need to pay for an education. I need to turn around and pay for tools 
to walk in your door to make 12 to $15 an hour? Makes zero sense, right? And so, yeah, when, it, when we say money is, is the key factor in the decision with these kids, it is. Yeah. I mean, a brand new building, yes, don't get me wrong, a brand new building is fantastic work, and I've worked in a brand new building, and it is absolutely heaven. Yeah. I mean, you can actually roll your creeper under the floor without <laughs> having to get caught. I mean, that is, it is heaven. Yeah. You know, but a brand new building does not put food on a kid's plate. It doesn't put a roof over a kid's head. It doesn't put tools in his toolbox. Yeah. A brand new building doesn't do that. And kids nowadays, they don't care. What they want is they want money in their pockets so they can afford to live. Yeah, I totally agree. And th so let me ask you that the, the tool thing is always an interesting thing to me because it used to drive me nuts when somebody would go buy a maximizer toolbox and not have the tools to put in it or, you know, whatever it, th those were the kind of things that drove me nuts. Is it, do you see it the same as it was maybe when, when you and I were growing up where it was almost a pride factor of the, the amount of tools that you had? And it really, it was a hobby of, collecting tools. And I took a lot of pride in my personal tool collection. I know a lot of my technician friends did the same. Do you still see that? Is that still an important thing for kind of this younger generation coming up through the ranks? Do they, is it important to them that they own their own tools or would they prefer having a dealership or a shop provide the tools for them? That's always an interesting one for me. Well, you know, I put a lot of thought into this. And especially with this technician shortage, and we, we need to make this industry appealing. That's yep. the thing. We need to make this industry appealing to younger kids coming into this industry. And if they have to put forth all kinds of money just to walk in the door to make that 12 to 15 and maybe 18 bucks an hour, that's not that appealing. No, so it's a huge I, barrier. I, right. Well, here's what I want to throw out. So these dealerships and these independent shops that are building these nice fancy buildings, okay, and they're beautiful buildings. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're beautiful buildings. Yeah. When you have an office personnel and you hire an office personnel, do you require that office personnel to purchase the desk? Do you require that office personnel to purchase the telephone, to purchase the laptop or the, the desktop computer, the filing cabinets behind them, the chair that that person sits in, the carpeting that's underneath them? Do you require that person to purchase that? None of that. The parts personnel that's sitting at the counter, the uh, service writer that's sitting on the counter, do you require them to purchase the chair that they're sitting on? to purchase all of the office supplies that they're going to be using, the laptop or the, the desktop that they're using, the printer that they're printing the work orders on. Do you require them to purchase any of that stuff? Right. Do you require that individual to pay for the air conditioning that they're sitting in? <laughs> no. No, but we not require a technician ever. to go out there and purchase ten to $30,000 worth of tools just to work on, you know, just to work on equipment in your shop. That is a, you know, even these newer shops, it's still, you know, warm, especially during the summer. The doors are open. It's hot. It's sticky. It's warm. It's nasty. Yeah. You, you require that they have to have tools. Uh, it's dirty. That's one of the things that's our industry. We know that, that it's a dirty industry. You're going to get dirty. And yeah, you supply the uniforms for them, but it's a dirty industry. You're working in smoky shops. You're having to purchase your own tools to make you money. What's wrong with this picture? A lot. Yeah. I, and, and we wonder why there's a shortage, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm just saying, what is wrong with this picture? Yeah. Everybody else that is there to help that dealership or that shop make money, they don't have to purchase anything. They come to, they come to work and maybe like the parts guys and the, and the service managers and the service writers, they do have uniforms. I'm giving them that. But 
they come to work dressed in their uniform or like the sales department or the leasing department, all that. They purchase their clothes for that, but everything else to do their job, they don't purchase. Yeah. You know, and they're still making the company money, but yet you require the technicians to go out there and spend that kind of money to work in your facility. So when you start adding all that together, how much does a modular desk cost or even just a straight desk? How much does a computer cost with all the programming? How much does the filing cabinets cost? How much does the desk chair cost? When you add all of that together, yeah. it's close to what a technician has to pay just to walk in your door. Yeah, it's nuts, right? And I, do you think, how much of it do you think is because it's just always been done that way, right? Like it, it's in our industry, it's been done that way as long as I've been alive. Do you think shops are afraid to to step out and do something different than what others do? Because to me, it's a glaringly obvious way that you could get a leg up on your competition when it comes to trying to attract talent is to do some of this stuff. And it's going to have a heck of a lot less impact on you as a shop than it would be as an individual that's you know making that $15 an hour to start. And it's not even just the people that are starting. I mean, a, a veteran tech still spends a lot of money on tools. And I laugh at tool trucks a lot because I think it's just a rolling accounts receivable. <laughs> so oh, yeah. so how, how much of that do you think is just because it's the way we've always done it? A lot. I mean, that that's it. Well, I, I that's the way I did it. When I came into this century, I had to do that. You need yep. to do that. You know, that's, it's, it's a lot. And I understand it's a huge investment for a for any type of a shop, but you need to change the mindset on yeah. that because you want people to come into this industry. Now, some places have started like tool programs for uh, young individuals. We'll go ahead and we'll get you a toolbox. We'll purchase it. And you sign a contract stating that, you know, you're going to be here for five years. And if yep. you're here for five years, uh, we'll go ahead and that toolbox is yours and you can add to it, but we're going to get you the basic set of tools. You know, it's going to cost X number of dollars for us to do that. You know, sign the contract. So some places are doing something like that. That's yeah. a start. Yeah. That really is a start. But there are companies that I know that we actually work with as a technical college that no, 100% of your tools is paid for. They walk in and oh. they get a toolbox. 100% of your tools are paid for. And they're starting to see that, that, you know what, we need to get into that. Now, these are smaller shops. They only right. have maybe five, six, you know, seven technicians but they are seeing the benefit of that because no, that hey, gives you a leg up. I mean, that gives oh, yeah. you a leg up on, on you have to look at these other shops as competition, not only for customers, but for these technicians. And if that gives you a clear advantage to be able to get that, get, get that technician in the door, why wouldn't you do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, and, and one of the companies I'll just throw it out there right now, one of the companies, Madison Metro. Yeah. The buses, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I visited a, a dealership, a, a big dealership group in Phoenix about a year ago, and it was a car dealership and uh, an upper end car dealership, but they supplied the toolboxes for every single person. So they had the workbench laid out, they had everything laid out. They still didn't buy the tools, but not only did the shop just look better because it, everything matched and it was clean and it was just really, really nice, a, a good work environment, but it kind of made them feel important, right? Like that, that you're not just dragging your toolbox in on your first day and here you go, start working. It, there, mm -hmm. there was more to it. Like there's a lot to be said for that. I do think we're going to start to see more of a shift in that regard. Tools being maybe the number one thing uh, where shops might start to look at that differently now. I think they do need to look at it differently now because you can't expect the lowest paid person in a shop or a dealership setting to invest the most like you said, when they're coming off of student loan debt as it is, 
to, to add even more to that is just not fair. I mean, that's, that's not a good way to treat your people. So I think we're going to see a big shift soon. Well, and that I hope, kind of, oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, Tom. I was going to say, I hope we do. I really, really hope we do because uh, we need to, again, we need to attract, we need to make this industry attractive. That's yes. the thing. We need to make it attractive and we're not. Yeah. Yeah. We're and that's, not. that's literally the entire point of, of this podcast too, in general, is to, to really figure out ways that we, we can do better as an industry to attract more in. Obviously with us at Finder Wrench, we're more of trying to help shops find techs, but this is truly, for an industry in general, we're getting to the point of desperation of trying to get people to fill these seats. And I think that kind of leads me into the next topic and, and really what I wanted our focus point to be in this discussion, which is how do we fill these seats in the tech schools? How do we, as an industry, make this more attractive? And, and how do we support our tech schools? To me, it always seems like a, a salesperson in a dealership, whenever they approach a service manager, normally they're not going to them unless they need something, right? <laughs> and there are exceptions to that. But a lot of times I've, I've sat in that service side or sat on that service side and you see a salesperson come up and you just kind of roll your eyes because you're like, I know they're not here just to chat. They, they want something. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I get the feeling it's the same way from industry to tech schools in that they come up to you at the end of graduation and say, where are our techs at? And they, their expectations are that the school is just automatically going to pump out technicians. But from an outsider's perspective and, and me looking at maybe both sides of the industry, I see it as, why aren't we as an industry helping get those seats filled? Why aren't we doing, why aren't we getting involved prior to graduation and really getting involved with the schools on advisory committees and, and having the advisory committees not just talk a good game, but actually execute on a good game and, and really help support the schools. And so I, I really want to dive into that, get your thoughts on that. What, what do you think in general as an industry, we could do better. And I don't know if that analogy made sense to you or not, but that is something that I see where we put our hands out, but not necessarily help try to build the school and grow the school. Well, one of the things that we have to kind of explain here a little bit is the, the technical colleges, community colleges out there, they are opposite of what the economy is doing. So that's one thing everybody needs to understand is that when the economy is doing good, our enrollments are down. I mean, yeah. people are out there, they have jobs and, and it might not be in the job that you want them to be in. You know, right now we got a technician shortage, but people are out there and they have jobs. When the economy starts to tank, like back in 2008, 2009, 2010, we, we were busting at the seams. The technical colleges were busting at the seams. Enrollment was extremely high. We had, you know, in our program, we had waiting lists to get in here because people want to, you know, they lost their job. They want to do a job change and not a lot of people are hiring you know, when the economy is bad. So, yeah. you know, we bust at the seams at that point in time. And right now the economy is doing good and that's great for everybody. But again, our enrollments are a little bit lower just because of the economy. That's the first thing. But, you know, I'm glad you asked this question because, you know, it is right that a lot of people, they come to the technical colleges and they say, you know, hey, what's your technicians? I need to hire every single one of your technicians. <laughs> You know, well, so does, you know, 25 other companies that came here say they want to hire your other technicians. And the other thing, too, is it's not just all your technicians. We want to hire your best. Yeah. Well, so do 25 other people want to hire our best tech or best students that we have in there. The, the problem is right now, again, because of the economy being good and people have jobs, is that we don't have the enrollments that we have. So that's the first thing. Yeah. So 
in reality, what we need to do as an industry is we need to get started at the middle. And I like to say this, we need to make an investment in young people, you know, middle school age, high school age, very early high school ages. This is where this investment has to start. And yes, it's going to be an investment because it's going to take a while for these middle school and these high school kids to get into the post-secondary system and get out there and actually into our industry. So you're looking five, six, seven, eight years down the road, but we need to make this type of an investment. You know, how many of you know, people in our industry, how many of these people actually are on a school board or actually have attended a school board meeting in their community? Right. You know, and people say, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Well, take a look at what the middle schools and the high schools around the country are doing. They're going away from the dirty trades. Yeah. You know, it, it is expensive to run a tech ed class. Don't get me wrong. I, we know it's expensive to run a tech ed class. The other thing, too, is kids aren't interested in that right now because it's not being forced on them. Yeah. I mean, we all used to work on our cars. That's what interested me. I loved going out and working on my car. That's what interested me in, into this industry. And of course, the, the high school I went to at the time, they had stuff. They offered that type of stuff. You know, yeah. I was a hands learner. I loved building stuff. I loved tinkering with stuff. You know, we don't have that opportunity for these kids anymore in these high schools. Yeah. And, you know, you, your business is in a community that has middle schools and high schools the middle schools and high schools are you doing you a disservice. You are paying taxes into this community for these schools. Your property taxes are paying for these schools and they're doing you a disservice because they are discontinuing these programs or they're consolidating these programs or five, six high schools are consolidating in the one and your opportunities are extremely limited or extremely hard to get to, to do these. You need to have your voices be heard at these school board meetings, at the city council. You need to start screaming at the top of your lungs saying, listen, you know, our industry has been paying taxes into this district for how many years? And you are getting rid of these, these dirty trades. Yeah. And the high school in the community that I live in, love the community. My, my two kids went to high school here, graduated. Excellent, excellent teachers and stuff here. Just absolutely love it. Right before I moved into this community over here, the high school had just built a brand new auditorium. I mean, beautiful auditorium. I've seen the old auditorium and yeah, it needed updating. And I don't know if we needed to have a brand new one, but it needed to be updated. And, you know, it was sold to the community that, you know, we want our kids to experience the arts. You know, we want them to experience show choir. We wanted them to experience music. We want them to experience all that stuff, you know, specifically the big show choirs in place. And and we're going to do this by putting together this big, beautiful auditorium. Hey, this is a great thing, you know, and and the community before I got in here uh, went along with that. But I also noticed, so you got this big auditorium where we're really promoting the arts, but yet at what expense? Yeah. Expense was, okay, now we're going to start taking money away from these technical areas. So we've got, you know, they used to have an auto shop. There's a a hoist and everything into this, you know, in the high school and they use it for storage. So the auto shop now is a storage facility or little parts of the area they're using for tech ed. And the tech ed classes are like three-week blocks. So we're going to touch woods for three weeks or, or four weeks. We're going to touch metals for three or four weeks. We're going to, but the other thing, too, that they touch is they touch like photography and videography and all this other stuff. So they're touching all kinds of things in tech ed. They're not spending a lot of time on the areas that, for our industry. Right. You know, just, you know, hey, this is an engine that's got pistons that go up and down, and, and that's about it. And when I go there and I talk to the tech ed instructors, 
you know, and I see the small engines up on the shelf, how often do you take those down and rebuild them? Oh, we don't do that anymore. We just kind of talk about what's inside it and we put it back up on the shelf. Uh, yeah. And the sad part is that's not just your school, right? That's, that's happening all over the country. And it, it it's really, really frustrating. And even to get exposure from a classroom in a classroom setting is really important at that age because if you think about the cars that we drove when we were growing up, you could work on them. Uh, you could work mm -hmm. on them with a, with, you know, really a basic tool set. Whereas now, other than maybe changing the oil or doing some simple maintenance, it's really hard to tear into anything. So even a lawnmower, I mean, you think about it, it's some of the first things that I dove into and really started to get interested in were mini bikes and lawnmowers and, you know, that kind of stuff where you could tear into them. And now even those have electronics, <laughs> right? <laughs> have things right. that aren't just easily taken down and put back together. So I, we, we really kind of robbed the youth of being able to dive into anything from the classroom setting or even from just basic life. And I think that's had a huge impact too. Well, you know, I, I always tell the story about the high school, you know, in my community here. And uh, again, like I said, I, the high school is great. I like the idea. Don't get me wrong. I like the idea to expose our students, you know, to these arts the the problem is is that I have a student that can sing and dance around a broken tractor but can't fix it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you take a look at how many kids are going to go into the arts for singing and for for dancing, for going out there and doing acting, how many of those students out of that class? And mind you, the school, you know, the community I go to is, is a smaller community. You know, my, both my kids graduating class was, you know, just under a hundred kids. Yep. So, I mean, very small graduating classes. How many of those kids are going to go into the actual arts? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We just went through a referendum out here and, and trust me, I'm a huge football fan, love football, but the referendum passed and they built a beautiful score, you know, sports complex. Awesome, awesome sports complex. Again, you know, and I don't get me wrong. We we've got a very good football team here, and we've got a great soccer team, and and they spent all this money on this sports complex. But again, at what expense? And again, how many people, how many of these kids are going to go out there and actually do this professionally? Now, I do understand we do need, you know, we do need to introduce these kids to this stuff. But when you're looking at our community, and when you say, you know, you think about, you know, seventy-five to eighty percent of our kids stay within the same community. And you're paying taxes into this, you know, your, your property taxes are paying, you know, into this, you know, into your district over there and they're not servicing you. You need to start screaming up at these school board meetings. You need to start screaming at the city council meetings and say, hey, wait a minute, we're paying these taxes. And don't get me wrong, all this stuff is great, but we want this dirty trades back. And really, the other thing too is really how, how much money you can make in this industry. Yeah, and it's going to go up, right? There's just not enough people in <laughs> to fill the seats. I mean, it's uh, it's simple economics, right? Uh, well, right. I mean, it, yeah. it's supply and demand, and and a lot of things. Every single parent out there, they want a better life for their kid than what they had. Yep. You know, that's that's what we always strive for for our kids. I want our kids to have a better life than what I had. In reality, you had a good life if you're a technician right now in this area, or if you're working in this industry, you had a good life. Yeah. Why, why don't you want your kids in this industry? You know, yeah. that, that's the thing. Get your kids into this industry. You know, the other thing too, is it's great to go out there as an industry and expose the industry, make that investment in middle school and high school kids. 
You know, we need to make that investment in those kids and really get kids excited to be part of that industry. You know, get the schools to participate in this industry. You know, if if it's going to be hard to get those dirty trades, well, bring the dirty trades to the kids. Yeah. You know, open up your shop and say, hey, come on down. We want you to, to uh, experience this. Come do down you, for like a Saturday or see, Sunday. Yeah, sorry to cut you off there, but do you see, is there still complications or still barriers for having like getting past a guidance counselor, right? I know in, in recruiting high schools and trying to get, trying to get people interested in this business, one of the barriers, and even I had this going through high school where once they determine that you're not going to a four-year school, they just kind of discount you and and push you off to the side so they can focus on the four-year kids, which is fine. But at some level, I've heard from industry people that try to go into their high school and they really struggle because they can't get past the guidance counselor. They can't get back to the students to talk to them because maybe a guidance counselor doesn't think it's important or, you know, it's really at the, the decision of that one person. And they, they, it's a real struggle. And I've, I've talked to, I've obviously been on, on your guys' advisory committee for a long time, but I've talked to people within that committee where they, they're just exhausted by going to these high schools because they just get worn out by the guidance counselors. Do you, do you have any advice or tips on, on how, how you grow that relationship and, and get you know, a better relationship with the schools in general? I, I hate to say this, but money talks. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's it. And I'm not saying and, you know, money into the high schools. I was at both of my kids when they graduated. They have a scholarship. And this is fantastic. They go out there and they bring these kids up on stage who apply for all these scholarships and they give away all these scholarships. And it's great. I mean, it is great to see how many companies out there and how many organizations are giving scholarships to these kids. So sitting in the audience and, and watching my kids go up there and receive their scholarships because they did the heart, you know, they, they, they got the good grades. They were able to fill out the applications and they got selected to get scholarships. It was fantastic to see that. I love that. Both of them, they had over 75 different scholarships that they gave away at these award nights when my kids graduated. Two of the 75 were to a two-year technical college. <laughs> All the other ones were for a four-year university. Now, when I say organizations, you know, you're talking about church organizations and the VFW here and a lot of different um, musical organizations and, of course, the, the arts organizations and things of that nature. Not one was from our industry. So I'm saying, put your money where your mouth is. Let's put together a scholarship. It doesn't have to cost much, $500, $1,000, something like that. But get involved, get with these guidance counselors and say, hey, you know what? I want to give away a scholarship or two scholarships or three scholarships or however many there is to a technical college or to a tech ed kid and get into the schools and say, here, this is what I want. You know, work with your high schools and work with that tech ed instructor. So a lot of times we've skirted around the guidance counselors and went right to the tech ed instructors. And kind of skirted that way. What do they need? Right. You know, and bring some of those industries there. Bring, you know, bring those trucks in. You don't have to wait for a career day. Right. Bring the equipment in. Bring the stuff in over there and talk to kids and get them excited. You know, one of the things that I did when I was a, and this is when my kids was in grade school. You know, they thought this was really neat. Got with a grade school teacher over there. We brought one of the trucks over. I brought a lot of the tools over. The kids just love climbing all over the trucks. This is in grade school. Yeah. But this is setting that seed. It's planting that seed in that kid's mind. 
That's... you know, and grab them early. Well, so, and you and I talk about this kind of off offline, but the importance of that, of industry involvement at that level or middle school or high school in doing some of that proactive stuff is so important because if we just leave the tech schools to do all the recruiting and do everything, it's really hard to get into, you know, I know you guys do a great job of it, of getting out to schools and, and talking to kids, but there's only so much time that you guys have. And if you don't have the support from industry of helping you do those recruiting classes or help or, uh, recruiting sessions, if you will, and not only like, like just recruiting, but just getting them exposed to our industry, you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not helping drive enrollment to the tech school. You're not helping drive people into the industry. And there's just so, so much more that we could do as an industry in that regard. I, I truly believe that. Oh, no, I, I completely agree. There's so much more that we can do. You know, I know that we're talking right now as far as the high schools and stuff like that. I mean, SkillsUSA is another thing. I know you had mentioned SkillsUSA earlier, but SkillsUSA is one organization. It's on a national level. It's in all 50 states. It's in three territories that we have. And SkillsUSA is a huge, huge student organization. It's in the middle schools. It's in the high schools. It's in the post-secondary. Yeah. You know, here in Wisconsin, I mean, we've got a very good, strong partnership with SkillsUSA at our state conference. Uh, when you come in and see our diesel competition, you know, at our state conference, we've got 20, 20 to 25 industry, you know, people from our industry over here donating the time and equipment and stuff to run a great contest. Yeah. That's the type of exposure that you want to make. That's, that's great when you do it on a, you know, for your state conference, but get more involved. There are other things with SkillsUSA. Get involved with these types of student organizations. Get involved with FFA. Yeah. You know, another great organization on the high school and middle school side and really get involved with them. Just because, you know, FFA is geared more towards agriculture, those farmers, they still need trucks. They need trucks to haul their, their grain and their, you know, their product and stuff. So they're still, you know, it's our industry. It doesn't yeah. have to just be strictly ag. You can work with the truck side. You can work with the, you know, on the auto side too as well with these organizations and, and get involved with those organizations. Say what, you know, what do you need? You know, how can I get involved with these organizations and get your name out? That's the biggest thing is get your name out there and really promote the industry. I love it. And I think you, I've told you about this before, but we, we uh, at a local community level here in Mount Horb, Wisconsin, put together a small 501c3 uh, nonprofit called CAST, which is the Community Alliance for the Skilled Trades. Mm -hmm. And we, it's, it's not just automotive, it's not just diesel, it's the electricians and plumbers and contractors and the, the skilled trades in general. We kind of the community leaders of those things put together a committee and, and really went to the school and said, how can we help you? Skills USA was a big piece of that, getting Skills USA ingrained in the high school so they do get exposure and they do get some cool things and then similar to what you talked about with scholarships i'm really excited that we're actually awarding two scholarships this year out of that organization and as we continue to grow it i really hope it's something that can spread to other communities because it really was a good way to tie all of this together and push skills USA, push the school to, to get grants, right? We wrote a, yep. a grant that got them $50,000 in welders, which they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So it's just that proactive community involvement that is desperately needed. And then from the industry standpoint, I think you hit it on the head 
with so many things here. And I, I just really hope that this hits home with, with everybody listening to the podcast and, and, and really, I hope we can all do our part to support our tech schools and, and, and really just help grow the industry. We desperately need it. And I think what you guys are doing up there is amongst the best in the country. As far as a tech school goes, we're lucky to have you guys in our backyard. And, and I think we, we need more of this. We need more of the proactive recruiting. We need more of the proactive just industry promotion to get to young people and, and let them understand that this is a pretty cool industry. And once you build these skills, the possibilities in this industry are endless. I really believe once you get that core level of skill, it gives you a ton of opportunity. Oh, oh I agree completely. And I mean, we've talked here almost an hour about this and we haven't even touched the part <laughs> of the, the true things. Because when a lot of this industry here, when they think of what, what can I do to help my technical college, you think about making partnerships with your technical college, which is a great thing. But it's we haven't even gotten into tooling we haven't gotten into equipment we haven't gotten into you know service you know with directly with the technical college i mean yeah. right now what we need is we need to start early and i think that's what you and i have talked about i mean we can have a whole another hour on this talking <laughs> yeah, I'm about, sure we will <laughs> you know talking about the partnerships with the schools i mean yeah. that's the big thing i mean right now you know we need to start early we need to, to get these kids, and, and when I say kids, these middle school, high school kids, we need to build the interest. We need, you know, like you said, you know, we need to make mechanic cool again, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's the thing. You know, we need to go out there and we need to, you know, excite these kids about being part of this industry. And, you know, you've been in this industry your whole life. I've been in this industry my whole life, and I would love for my kids to be you know, in this industry my whole life, you know, their whole lives. You know, the problem with my two kids is that they just, they're not mechanically competent and yeah. uh, they just, they didn't get that gene for me. So, uh, <laughs> I had the same problem uh, getting that from my dad. So yeah, I, I get that. But no, I mean, this is, this is where we need to start. And like I said, Jay, we could probably have a whole nother hour talking about partnering up with your technical college and, and what that means, because there's so many different things that you can do to help your technical college on that level of partnership between industry and the tech college itself. Right now, I just wanted to focus on getting out there into your communities and really, really, really start pushing the envelope there in the communities, you know, pushing the school boards and your, your city council to say, hey, you know what, we are paying taxes into this community and we're not being served. I mean, yes, we are. We get the, the normal services, but, you know, my property taxes, a good portion of that's going to the school system. Yeah. And the school system is getting rid of these dirty trades, A, because probably funding and we need money, but B, there's other technologies that are there pushing their agendas in the school systems. You know, if something simple is the scholarships, you talk about the guidance counselors, the guidance counselors, hey, I want to give a scholarship out to these kids, but I'm forgiving this. If I'm going to give the scholarship out to these kids in your high school, what I want is I want this. Yeah. The money talks. Yes. I, you know, I and, love that. And that's where, oh, okay, yeah, let's get you in here. Okay, because now money talks. <laughs> and you're not giving it directly point. to the school, but you're giving it to a kid that is desperately needed a scholarship. You know, five hundred dollars, a thousand, fifteen hundred to that when you start thinking about your business and the profits you make on a year and you give away three, four, five of those scholarships, that's an initial investment. And we can make that type of investment. And I'll just kind of give you this one. All the instructors at Madison Area Technical College, yeah. we put together our own scholarship. You know, we talk about Skills USA. The high school winner at Skills USA gets a scholarship 
okay, from the instructors from Madison Area Technical College. We put in each instructor plus our uh, instructional assistant over here, we put in our own money, you know, to give away a $1,000 scholarship to a kid that wins the high school side of the SkillsUSA diesel competition. Now, there are stipulations. You know, that kid has to, he has to register within our program. Sure. You know, he can't go to any technical college. He has to register within our program. Sure to be there to, to get that scholarship. The second thing is, is that scholarship will be awarded his second semester, his or her second semester. It's not going to be awarded right away. It's going to be awarded that second semester. So we're not going to have a, you know, an individual that comes in here, gets a scholarship, and then says, yeah, after first semester, I'm going to go someplace else. You know, we want that kid to make an investment into the school itself. But sure. this is our own personal money. Yeah. It's our own personal money. We know this. But we give that out to the winner of the high school. Maybe do something like that. You know, get all of the service managers and the parts managers and the sales managers and, hey, let's put together 200 bucks and let's do our own scholarship if the business doesn't want to do it. Right. Yeah. I I think that, I mean, that's truly putting your money where your mouth is, uh, literally. And I I just think there's there's so much to be taken from what we've talked about here. And, and I really hope that we're able to execute this in, in industry and, and really try to actually make an impact here because I, I think there's a lot we can do. And Tom, to, to conclude, I, I just truly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on this podcast. I respect you as much as anybody. And I think getting your insight and your industry knowledge to kick off our podcast here is is a really cool thing for me. It's an honor to have you on, and I, I sure hope that we'll be able to have you on again. Well, I appreciate it, Jay. And like I said, I think we can do one whole hour again on, on finishing this topic because I don't think we're completely finished yet. No, <laughs> I, think, I think I'll probably be asking you again in the near future to be on. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to finish this conversation. This is just the start of it. And uh, no, I appreciate the, the opportunity to come in here and talk you know, to give my insight. And it's not, it, it's just my, you know, my opinion of what I see, but, you know, I think everybody's feeling the, the hurt and there's a lot of people who have great ideas and I'm sure that you're going to have fantastic individuals on other podcasts here that give their insight. And I'm looking forward to listening to these podcasts because uh, I want to grab other people's insights, you know, from around the country. And yeah. uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, you can always call me. I'd always be on no matter what. Oh yeah, you're the best, and and I, you're absolutely right. I think this is this is the cool part for me too, is being able to pick the brains of of the people in the industry I respect so much. It's it's such a cool thing, and and as we move forward, I think it's going to be a real topic of conversation of of the technician shortage and how we help solve it, and and this is really at the core of that. So to to really kick off the Beyond the Wrench podcast, I I think Tom was the perfect guest to have on here and I I really look forward to to being able to share this with everybody. Of course, if you do like this podcast, please go to iTunes, subscribe to us, uh YouTube, we're going to be posting it out in a number of different platforms and we'll make sure that we get that spread out there, but we'll uh we'll keep putting these on and we sharing some great insight and everything uh industry related in this podcast. So thank you, Tom. And, uh, and thank you to everybody for listening. Mm -hmm.